So we're reading First uh, John uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. It says, but this is, the, is evidence, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has entered life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your word says that we have two commands. That we believe in the name of your son Jesus Christ and that we love one another. I ask that by looking at your word this morning, you would strengthen our faith in Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, they would believe in you. And Father, I pray that your word would also help us to love one another as we ought. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be in the book of Luke. Continuing our series through the book, and I'm going to be finishing chapter 10 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We've got them all over. I want to encourage you to find Luke chapter 10 and to look at it with me. Or if you want to use an app on your phone, that's fine. But I believe that you will be helped as you see the words in Scripture so that you know that I am being faithful to what the Bible actually says and not trying to twist it or manipulate it in any way. As you turn there, I want to remind you of something that probably most people here have experienced, and that's learning how to ride a bike. You learn how to ride a bike, there are two things that are absolutely essential. Number one, you must pedal. 
You absolutely have to pedal if you are going to ride a bike for multiple reasons. Number one, you will not go anywhere if you don't pedal. And number two, going somewhere, motion, is essential for staying upright on only two wheels. So, number one, pedal. You need some power. Number two, equally essential, is you must look where you are going. In fact, this is even more important than something like hanging onto the handlebars and steering. I remember as a kid, one of the things I loved doing on my bike is, is you know, what, what every kid at some point says, hey, look, mom, no hands, right? You, you let go, you steer by leaning. I loved doing that. You can ride a bike without your hands if you're careful. You cannot ride a bike unless you look where you are going. The two things are absolutely essential. Pedaling for power, casting vision so that you don't wreck. And what I want to say is that the commands that we have heard from Scripture that I will be talking about today are a lot like that. All of God's commands are summed up in the necessity of loving God and loving your neighbor. Loving God and loving your neighbor. And what I want to say to you is that these things work together just like pedaling and looking where you're going. If you look where you're going on a bike but you never pedal, you'll never go anywhere. It doesn't work. If you pedal but don't look where you're going, you will wreck. It will not work. And the commands of God are the exact same. If you love God but do not love your brother... You are actually a liar, is what the scripture says. You cannot love God whom you have not seen and fail to love your brother whom you have seen. And so the two things go together. You can't claim to love God and not love your brother. And also, you cannot claim to love your brother if you fail to love God. In fact, many people today feel like that's not true. Many people would say, you can love your brother. You don't need to be a religious person to exercise love. But the scripture says, if you do not love God, you will not know how to love your brother. And so the two things cannot be separated. And it's my prayer that you'll see why that's the case this morning as we go to the scriptures. There is a question that is asked right at the beginning of this passage And it's the most essential question, I think, for life. I've summarized it. My first point this morning is, how can we be saved? How can we be saved? If you don't know the answer to that question, you have no hope in life. And it's my prayer today that you'll see in Scripture how you can be saved. Look with me at verse 25 through 28. We're going to see a young man who comes and asks Jesus this very question. It says, Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer, now understand, this is not a lawyer like we think of lawyers. This is someone who's an expert in the Old Testament, in the first half of the Bible. So someone who was very religious and understood what God had said. So a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. 
Now, this is, in some sense, a surprising answer because we preach a gospel of grace. Many of you can quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that's true. That's 100% true. We are saved by grace through faith. But that is the beginning. Famously, some have said that we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. In other words, when you experience saving faith and you trust that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, you experience a kind of forgiveness and peace that changes who you are. So you will no longer continue in the same sins that you have always loved. You will no longer be the same person. And so you begin to put into practice the commands of God, not to earn your salvation, not to try to get God's favor through what you do, but because of what God has already done for you. So this young man comes to Christ and says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a huge question. What that implies is he is aware that we are not right with God, that you don't automatically have it. Not everyone goes to heaven. Not everyone has a life that will last for all of eternity in connection with God. Jesus doesn't say that's not the right question. He acknowledges it's a good question, and I would say it is perhaps the most important question in the world. The Bible is very clear that not everyone goes to heaven, And all of us are born with a sin problem that separates us from God. But Jesus, as the master teacher, doesn't give him a simple answer. He draws him out. And notice what Christ says. I'm going to mention this a couple of times. He asks him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Do you realize what a stunning answer that is? What Jesus is implying is that you can understand how to have a relationship with God, how to have eternal life, from reading the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus returns to this a few different times. He rebukes people for not reading carefully. He says that the things in the Old Testament testify to who he is as the Messiah. And that if you were a careful student of the Old Testament, you would know who Christ was because you would anticipate him. And Luke has showed us people who did, people like Anna, people like Simeon, who were eagerly waiting for God to work. And when Jesus showed up, they recognized what was happening. Even as Jesus was an infant, the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. Jesus is clear throughout his entire ministry That careful reading of the scriptures help you know who God is. And that's true to this day. Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You will not have eternal life unless you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. You cannot be saved apart from that good news. And if you disagree with that statement, you don't believe that Christ died for your sins, you are lost. You will not have eternal life. And what Jesus says to this young man is that if you are carefully studying the law, he's implied in the question, you will understand that God wants you to have this life. 
He's made it possible for you to have this life. The question is, how do you understand what you've read? How do you understand what the Bible says? And that's what Jesus is asking this young man. How do you understand the scriptures? And the young man replies with something that's actually straight from the book of Deuteronomy. He's quoting scripture. He's studied. He knows. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I asked Chris to read from the book of 1 John because many Christians would say, that's not how you're saved. But notice, Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You have answered correctly. And the book of 1 John demonstrates that loving God and loving your neighbor shows that you have saving faith. Jesus died so that you would love God and your neighbor. That is the purpose of your salvation, to bring you into a right relationship with God. So yes, you are saved by grace through faith, but this is absolutely true. You will not have eternal life without loving God and your neighbor. And so when Jesus says that this is right, do this and you will live, he is speaking absolute truth. So the question for you and the question for me is, do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? Do you love God and do you love your neighbor? And there are two things that we will look at in our text this morning that will help us answer these questions. The first one is a story that that probably most of us are familiar with. If you haven't heard it, that's great. You're about to see one of the most important passages in Scripture. And I, I am excited to be able to read it to you for the first time. If it is familiar, then recognize what it says to you specifically about whether or not You are right with God. And so the first thing that we're going to see this morning in answer to this question is loving your neighbor and what it means to love your neighbor. So notice with me verses 29 through 37. I'm just going to read them aloud and then I've got a few things that I I want to say about it. Verse 29 says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Such a lawyer thing to say. And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. One of the stunning things about Jesus that I love and admire is Jesus had such penetrating wisdom to know how to answer people so that if you asked him a question 
He may not give you the answer that you were expecting or hoping for, but he will give you the answer that you need to hear. So if you read this carefully, Jesus doesn't answer the question the young man asked. The young man said, who is my neighbor? Jesus didn't define who the neighbor is. Look carefully at the end of the text here. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? to the man who fell among the robbers. And he said, the one who showed him mercy. See, Jesus isn't concerned about who your neighbor is. He's concerned about whether or not you are a neighbor who loves someone the way you would want to be loved. So the young man thinks, I can justify myself by figuring out who I need to love and not worrying about other people. And Jesus says, you need to be the kind of person who loves Everyone, your focus is completely wrong. You're looking outward, you need to look inward. Be the type of person who loves everyone with sacrificial love. And the thing that's so significant about this story, the young man has just summarized the two greatest commandments in all of the Bible. And when it says that he wanted to justify himself, he assumed that he nailed the first one. Because he doesn't say... Teacher, what does it mean to love God? I don't know if I do. He checked that box. He says that basically, I'm okay there. What I really need to know is, who's my neighbor? So I can understand my obligation with the second one. And in asking that question, he's assuming that he got the first commandment, A+. Good to go. And what Jesus is doing with this parable, is he's showing him, you know what? Your heart is not loving towards other people. And if your heart is not loving towards other people, you can't possibly be right with God either. This parable is is addressed to, to especially religious people, the people who are good at showing up in church, the people who are good at reading their Bibles. And it's giving you a diagnostic to say, has God's love changed you so that you love other people? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus will tell many parables to this point. He'll make it so clear that if you have been forgiven by God, you will be a forgiving person. And this parable becomes a diagnostic of your heart. And notice the high cost of this kind of love. And I feel like I should, I should mention, you know, Samaritans... They were not loved by the Jewish people. They were what we would maybe call half-Jewish. They, they were the descendants of people that were put in Israel as Israel was taken to Babylon. So foreigners came and intermarried, and the Jews just looked down at them because they weren't purely Jewish. They, they were racist. And so Jesus is holding up this man that a, that a typical Jew would have despised, And using him as an example of sacrificial love, loving someone that he also, if he had held a racial grudge, would have despised. And Jesus is demonstrating that God's love does not exclude people who look different than you. Let me say it a different way. God's love loves everyone. It doesn't matter who the person in need is. And and let me be clear, it doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is. 
It doesn't matter how they identify in terms of gender. It does not matter what their skin color is. You and I are obligated to love people the way God does. And you know how God loved you and how God loved me? Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for us to be good and godly people to start loving. He loved us while we were still messed up in our sin. And you and I are called to that same type of love. Not only is this a love that doesn't discriminate, this is a love that is costly in multiple ways. You know, when we get to a rough neighborhood, I've done this. You look around, realize how many windows are broken, how utterly isolated you are, that there's no one around for miles. And what do you do? You lock the doors immediately. You know, if if, if you've got a little electrical action, you just hit the button. If not, I mean, sometimes you've got to reach and get all the doors. This guy was stopping in a rough neighborhood. He exposed himself to the same sort of danger, the same possibility that he would be beaten and robbed. And he was willing to stop and help a man who was in utter distress. And this is targeted especially towards religious people, and you know this. So this young man is a lawyer. He's an expert in the law. He loves the Old Testament. He thinks that he loves God perfectly. And Jesus has a priest and a Levite, two fundamentally religious people devoted to worship, pass by the man in need. And then the Samaritan, who is not Jewish and doesn't worship God according to the law of the Old Testament, the Samaritan is the one who stops. And Jesus says, this is an example of the type of neighbor that you should be. And it cuts right to your heart. And it cuts right to my heart. Because I don't always do this. And I'm a pastor. And I'm the religious person that I'm supposed to stop. But I don't always. And this is a passage that helps me know where my heart is. If I truly love other people. It was costly in terms of being risky. It's also costly just in terms of time. And and I think sometimes we are the biggest slaves to our schedule and priorities and planning. And yet Jesus shows that the willingness to stop is so critical. Sometimes you need to love your neighbor by putting your agenda on hold. And the thing that you wanted to do is not as important as expressing the love of God to someone else. This is true of your spouse. This is true of your kids. This is true of your physical neighbors. This is true of total strangers. Be ready to love someone by stopping your agenda. It's costly not only in terms of time, it's costly in terms of money. Jesus says this man immediately took out two denarii. A a denarii is, is a coin that's worth about a day's wage. So depending on how much you make, it's somewhere around... $200 to $300 for two denarii. I don't know the last time you've taken out two Benjamins and said, no questions asked for a total stranger. I'm putting this down. I don't expect it back. And if he owes you anything else, I'll pick up that tab when I return. That's a lot of money. And and I think we're good at doing that for our kids and our brothers and sisters by blood. But would you do it for a total stranger? Would you do it for someone that didn't share your faith, that didn't look like you? That's the kind of love that Jesus says, if you love your neighbor, you will love sacrificially in this way. It's costly in so many ways. 
And he tells this young man who thinks that he loves God, you need to go and do likewise. As you study this passage, there are a couple passages in Matthew and Mark that are similar. This is the only gospel that includes the story of the Good Samaritan. But Matthew and Mark also tell of a young lawyer coming to Jesus saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in those places, it it gives you maybe a different perspective on the same event. And a lot of people think it's the same person. And it says that Jesus loved this young man. Jesus is not trying to condemn him. He's not trying to be mean. He's trying to help him understand that the love of God should transform you to be the kind of person who loves anyone and everyone. And if it hasn't, it means that you haven't experienced saving love yet. And so Jesus is giving him the instructions that he needs so that he would come to God. And in fact, in one gospel, when he answers and says, the greatest commandment is loving God and loving your neighbor, Jesus looks at him and he says, you are so close to the kingdom. And that's exciting because there's the hope that this young man would find Christ in all his fullness and be saved. And yet it's also terrifying how many of us are close to God but not saved yet. How many of your neighbors are close to God but not saved yet? Or your family members or total strangers? It's a terrifying thing to think that many people will pass away and go to an eternity in hell because they did not find Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says to this young man, you go and do likewise. Learn what it means to be loved by God so that you can love other people. And for those of you who know Christ, this parable is a picture of the way that you need to love other people. So how are you doing? John says, if you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother, you are a liar. There are some people who believe that they are Christians, but they simply are not. They are wrong. They are self-deceived. And this parable is a gift to assess your heart. Do you love your brother? Because if you don't, you need to repent. Find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Recognize that Jesus' blood covers your sins. And if you've experienced that kind of forgiveness, it will change who you are. This is not about you just deciding you're going to do some good works to earn God's favor. That will never work. This is about asking, where is your heart before God? That's one of two pictures. Now Luke, when he writes, is a very careful organizer of material. So he starts this section with this question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells the story of the good, good Samaritan that demonstrates you cannot claim to love God without also loving people. But the section doesn't end here. So the, the final point that I have for today is from the story of Mary and Martha. And we are intended to read these together, to think at one time, of the Good Samaritan, and then to recognize that there's another picture here that we have to wrestle with. And so my final point today is confusing busyness with godliness. Confusing busyness with godliness. Look at verses 38 to 42 with me. It says, Now, as they went on their way, so this encounter is in the back of their minds, they're probably still thinking about the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. 
It says, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She's doing really well. She loves Jesus. She wants to provide for him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now think about what that says next to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus spoke to a young lawyer that said, I love God, but he failed to put his faith in practice. Now Jesus is tenderly talking to a woman who is putting her faith in practice, but is failing to sit at the feet of Jesus and love God. So you have two things that are helping you assess your heart. Jesus shows so clearly here with Martha, so so many things. He says to her twice, Martha, Martha. He's not rebuking her any more than he rebuked that young lawyer. He's showing a tender heart that loves this woman. He is patient with her, but he's helping her know, you are missing the whole point. You are busy and anxious about all kinds of service. That, in the end, does not matter. What is Mary doing? Mary is listening to the teaching of Christ. Now, this is enormously practical for us. Have you ever been grumpy with someone who wanted to go to a Bible study and maybe they didn't do the thing that you thought needed to be done? C.S. Lewis, as a man that came to faith as an adult, said that there is nothing more irritating to a household than someone rising early to go to church. You could rise early to golf, you could rise early to fish, you could rise early to do anything, but as soon as you rise early to go to church, it becomes obnoxious. Because many people don't love God and don't value God. But Mary is sitting at the feet of Christ, and it actually irritates her sister. Because her sister says, she's useless. She's not helping. Jesus, I'm serving you with my busyness. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Sitting at the feet of Christ and listening to his teaching is more important than the kind of service that Martha was engaged in. And church, I believe that this is so practical for us as a church. To be honest, the parable of the Good Samaritan cuts me pretty deep because I am the kind of person that says, I love God. I'm very good at reading my Bible, very good at learning and growing in prayer. I've still got a lot of, a lot of room to grow there. I am not as good at stopping my schedule to love my brother. So the parable of the Good Samaritan cuts me pretty sharp. I don't have a problem with stopping everything and sitting at the feet of Jesus as I listen to someone teach or preach. I do have a problem stopping everything to put my faith in practice. There are some of you who are a lot like me. Some of you 
are better at sitting at the feet of Jesus, if you will, but you need to repent because you don't love your brother the way you should. But there are others of you, and I would say in our church, there are perhaps many of us who are very busy in service and very bad at sitting. We are a busy church with many ministries. If your service in ministry prevents you from worshiping, you are too busy. And you are in danger of missing the most important thing. And the text is enormously clear. This type of devotion is a type of devotion that listens to the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus is enormously clear. This whole book testifies to who Jesus is. We sit at the feet of Jesus every time the word is opened. And if we are too busy to do this, we are too busy. And I want to recognize some of you are gifted in different areas of service and we need many types of service. But the whole body of Christ is called to come together and worship. So if your busyness serving Jesus on Friday and Saturday prevents you from worshiping on Sunday, something is off. The most important thing we do as a church is worship together around the word of God. And if that suffers because of a good ministry then the ministry is not good and it needs to change. And let me be specific also. I mentioned our Wednesday night dinners. They're so good. It's nice to sit down and be able to fellowship around food. But here's the thing. If we are so busy and the manpower is high, if we take too many volunteers to serve in the kitchen, but we don't have enough volunteers to serve our kids as they meet around the word of God, something is off. The priority needs to be on teaching and preaching the word of God, on praising God in song, on giving generously so that the gospel of Jesus spreads. You can do a lot of good things, but if you miss that, you have missed the one thing that Jesus says matters. And so some of you need to repent of being too busy for Jesus Christ. I believe our church needs to do some soul searching about how we prioritize different ministries because Jesus is the only thing that matters. And if you don't love his word, you don't love him. And so I want to urge you and beg you to check your heart. Do you Love God as you should. And and John, who spoke so much about loving your brother, also said this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. It starts with God loving us. He says, we love because he first loved us. We know his love because Jesus died for us and rose from the dead. And then he says at the beginning of chapter 5, everyone who believes in Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So you, so you love the people in the church. And then he says the most important thing here, we know that we love the brothers, other people, because we love God. 
and keep his commandments. If you don't love God and keep his commandments, your service to your brothers and sisters is meaningless. It could be done by a non-Christian. But if you love God first, then your service can point people to Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. So, so how do you start this? What, what do you do? Uh, first and foremost, if you don't know that Jesus is your Savior, you need to confess your sins, be saved, and be baptized, and become part of the church. And I would love to welcome you to do that. If you don't know for sure that you have eternal life, that your sins are forgiven, settle that today. Confess your sins, be forgiven. But if you would say, you know what, I, I'm already a Christian, I'm already saved, then take these passages to heart and repent. If you have not placed God in his proper place and prioritized listening to the word, confess that as the sin that it is. Say, Lord, I I am so sorry that, that I have not been faithful to sit at the feet of Jesus. Repent, be forgiven, and rejoice in that forgiveness and change. Make the word of God a higher priority in your life. Some of you who can somewhat pridefully say, I, I, I'm so faithful in the word. I've read the Bible X number of times. I love listening to preaching. My favorite, favorite radio station is Caleb, and, and I love to watch preaching on TV. Some of you may need to repent because you have not loved your brother as you should. And so at the end of this message, I want to ask you this question. How does this passage, the Good Samaritan and Mary and Martha, how does it confront who you are today? What do you love? Have you been forgiven by God? And if so, has that love flowed out to the people around you? If Jesus were to ask you, how do you read my word, like he asked the the lawyer, would you be embarrassed and say, not much? Would you have an answer for him? And if he looked at you and said, how did you treat your brother that was on the side of the road? Would you be able to say, I stopped and I opened my wallet and I helped in every way I could? Or would you say that I went past him and never thought about it again? We need to remember that we cannot love people if we don't first love God. And if we neglect our worship, we will be lousy servants. So let's repent as a church and move forward. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, as we close the scriptures, we don't want to leave unchanged. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would take your word deeply into our hearts. Only you can bring about repentance. Only you can bring about change. And I ask that you would do it, that you would bless us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would make us more and more like Jesus who did this so perfectly for us. So that as we leave here, we would not forget your word. We would not disobey your word, but we would put it in practice and find life and health and blessing. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I want to leave you with the words of Paul from the end of his letter to the Corinthians. He says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If that means that you need to take a moment and pray and repent, don't leave until you do. And if I can help you in any way, let me know. Go in peace.